0: Well, hello, 945. Some of you are here. Even though the Seahawks have a playoff game right now. Yes. You're going to sing louder, pray harder, laugh louder, right? You're, yeah, and you guys, you're the faithful few. You, you have the fast pass to heaven, you guys do. Yes, it's in, it's in the Bible, yes. Beast mode worship. Uh, m- most of us, most of us have, I'm just, ad living right now and I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> most of us have had, at some point in our life, we've had to write a resume or a cover letter to get a job or to get into college. And, and that can be kind of an odd experience, right? Because you kind of have to brag about yourself, right? This is how awesome I am. And I have read a lot of job applications over the years and no pastor applying for a job ever says things like, my personality gives me ample opportunity to practice conflict resolution. Right? You're not going to hear that in a pastor resume. You're not going to hear a, in a pastor resume. You're not going to hear them say, you know, my counseling of church members gives me many sermon illustrations. No one's going to do that. Right? Because the, the, the resume is meant to kind of be the highlight reel of our life, to make it look like we have just moved from one victory to another victory, unmitigated success, all to prove ourselves worthy. Where do you feel like you have to prove yourself worthy? In a job or school, almost certainly, right? with peers, probably. In church, sometimes sadly, you feel like you have to prove yourself there too. Where do you feel like you have to flash your credentials to show that you live a victorious life? That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the passage that we just read out of 2 Corinthians. The, the, the setup is that the church in Corinth have rejected Paul as their leader because a group that calls themselves the super apostles say that Paul isn't qualified so that they should be the leader instead. And they've got a point. No church today would ever hire Paul. By his own admission, he's not good looking, he's not a good speaker, the churches he started are all very small, they can fit in a house. Today, we measure the success of a church by the two B's, right? Butts in the pews and bucks in the offering plate. Um, And make sure you don't confuse those two. And on top of all of his other liabilities, Paul has spent most of his ministry in jail. Because, you know, churches just love that in their pastor. So the Corinthians decide that Paul does not have what it takes to be their leader. So in this letter, Paul kind of asks the question, well, what really credentials us as having a successful life? And what is a successful, victorious life anyway? And what are the credentials that show that we have it? And he starts by saying, When I went to Troas to preach the gospel and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I went on to Macedonia. What 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 Paul's talking about is he was so worried about what was going on in Corinth that he was waiting for Titus, who had just been to Corinth, to come back and hopefully tell him that things were improving there. And when Paul couldn't find Titus, he got so anxious that he couldn't step through the opportunity to preach that God had given him. And this is another reason that the super apostles say that Paul isn't qualified to be the pastor. He has too many problems. He has too many issues. And he's always talking about them. He's always talking about his deficiencies. Always telling stories about how he's screwed up in the past. Stories about how anxious he feels. Stories about how insecure he feels. Like what kind of a fool pastor would tell stories like that? (laughs) That's right, I would. And the super apostles say, look... If God was really with him, would he have all these problems? But Paul says, no, 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 no. The victorious life is not about having no problems. Jesus, after all, was crucified. That is a problem. Nor is the victorious life about always feeling victorious or feeling confident. So when the path gets hard, what really is a victorious life? What does it look like? And what credentials us as having had that victorious life? Well, Paul answers that. After he talks about his anxiety, he says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. And that first word there is the key to the whole thing. But in spite of his deficiencies, in spite of his flaws, in spite of his problems, Jesus is still getting work done through Paul. Jesus is victorious. And this is the first point, what a victorious life really is all about. In a victorious life, we don't do something for God. God does something through us, even in our failures. Paul talks about being led in a triumphal procession. And what he's referring to is that in Rome, when a general would win a battle, what they would do is all their lieutenants and then everyone they captured would would go through this big parade through the streets of Rome. And it was called a triumph. Paul here is kind of representing himself as a lieutenant to a victorious general. And he's saying in spite of how hard his path has become, Jesus is the general. Jesus is victorious through him. And even in Paul's failures, Jesus works to spread, as the text says, the fragrance of knowing Jesus. Some of you have heard me tell a story before about when I was teaching at Stanford before I was a pastor, and I I volunteered to lead a Bible study of a couple of college guys. And I, you know, I'd go every you know couple of weeks. I'd have lunch or I'd go running with each one of them individually so I could mentor them every couple of weeks. And and along and throughout all this, I was feeling kind of insecure. I mean, I was this kind of academic nerdy guy. They were cool athlete fraternity guys, and there was this one guy who made me feel especially like a failure. Because whenever we would get together, he just wouldn't talk, like he didn't want to be there. And I would come armed with dozens of questions. We'd blow through those in like 10 minutes and then just spend the rest of the time in awkward, painful silence. We did this for two years. I felt like such a failure. Well, finally, when they were seniors, the last Bible study before they graduated, I asked them, you know, for for each of you, what, what was the highlight of your college career? When it got to him, he said, Scott, it was those lunches I had with you. I had to resist the urge to say, oh, man, you need to get out more. (laughs) Like, we got to work on this because that's like tragic, right? And he said, I would look forward to them for days. I would think about what you would said to me for days afterwards. And then I realized I gave him the most precious thing I had, my time. See, I felt like a failure, but God was at work through me to create something good. My job was just to show up and sit there in awkward silence. See, it's not your ability, it's your availability. God works even through our failures as long as we, as long as we, and this is point number two, let Jesus shine through us. Paul goes on to say for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ to the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other an aroma that brings life. And I've always found this a bit of an awkward metaphor, right? Like we smell like Jesus. It's a bit of an awkward metaphor, but but what he's talking about is that during the Roman triumphal parades that I just mentioned, they would burn incense. So Paul is saying we are the incense. The question is, do we smell like Jesus? When people see us, what do they see? And to some people, that smell of Jesus, that's going to be attractive. To others, they're going to reject it. They're not going to like it. Now, just parenthetically, we need to say that if they don't like it, let's make sure it's not because we stink, right? Because we've been obnoxious or something like that. Show them Jesus, let them decide. Someone will reject him, some will accept him. The question Paul asks is, what do people see in our lives, us or Jesus? When we succeed, when we fail... When everything is awesome, when everything is terrible, what do people see, us or Jesus? And this isn't, this isn't about being all super holy and christian This isn't about kind of putting on a false smiley, happy Christian Sunday face. Not, that's not what Paul's talking about. My parents had some friends who were really into positive thinking, and they took it too far. Like, so for instance, they would never say anything negative. So they would never say, for instance, I have a cold. Instead, they would say, I have a warm. Oh, ick, right? <laughs> Okay, that's not what Paul is talking about, this kind of phony false piety. What he's saying, what Paul is saying is, even when I'm failing, am I failing in a way that people still smell the aroma of Christ? One of the things I loved about my lifelong mentor Steve, who died a year ago, was that he let me see Jesus in every part of his life. He told me about his failures, some of his sins, some of his fears, as well as his successes and his victories. And he allowed me to see him work through all of that with Jesus. He was a window through which I could see how Jesus worked. And and that really, that changed my life. That's what credentialed him in my eyes. That's why I admired him. Not because of any accomplishment, but because he was a window through which I could see Jesus working in the highs and in the lows of his life. And that changed my life. He had the aroma of Christ. And because of that, I admired him. Those were his credentials. So Paul goes on and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need some, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? See, remember the, the Corinthians keep saying you don't have the credentials, right? And there it is again. We're always being measured everywhere we go, right? We're constantly being evaluated. Someone once sent me some supposedly real comments that were written on employee performance reviews by their managers who were kind of fed up. My favorite was his team would follow him anywhere but only out of morbid curiosity. God is not writing that kind of stuff on the resume of your life. That's not what it's about. That's not what credentials you as having a successful life. That's not what credentials you as making a difference in the world. What Paul says is this. He says to the Corinthians, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And this is my third point. The victorious life is filled with human letters. Paul's saying my credentials is that flawed and broken and weak as I am, God still works through me to change your life. The credentials of a victorious life is leaving behind changed lives. And just incidentally, if we are going to be pathfinders in a post-Christian culture, who help heal our culture and make it better. The measurement of that is not going to be the size of our church. It's not going to be how influential it is. It's not going to be how many movers and shakers on the east side come here. If we are to be pathfinders that really heal our culture, our measurement will be in whether or not we have sent human letters into the world. Not just churchgoers, but truly transformed lives because of how we've loved them. They are going to be our letters of recommendation. So who are the kind of the quote letters that you have mailed into the world? Your children, someone you've mentored, colleague at work who you've helped, and what would they say if somebody, quote, read them? See, we think the credentials of a victorious life are our degrees or our job title or our salary or our status. Paul says, no, no, no. A truly victorious life, one that is meaningful and has purpose and joy, is how we let God work through us to change other people's lives. And this is how we change lives. It's also how you change culture. Because culture is just the sum total of every heart and worldview in that culture. You can't change that by shouting and arguing. You change that by loving them. You change enough hearts you change a culture. And that doesn't mean we have to do some giant thing, right? Oh, great, now I have to change the culture. Now I have to change people's lives. Guess I better start a nonprofit. No, 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 no. People's lives get changed by a thousand little acts of love, and God just invites us to be one of them. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference, and one of the speakers was a 20-year-old college student talking about his generation's desire for mentors. So afterwards, I asked him, well, what could people in my church do to kind of bless younger people like you. And he said, never do anything alone. If you're a business person or a pastor or a doctor, find a 20-something person who's interested in your field and take him to work and just let them watch what you do so that they can learn how to do it. Mentor them and then talk to them about how you do that with Jesus and as a Christian. So I said, that sounds good. What kinds of things at work should people invite you into? What would you like to be invited in on? And he said, how should I know? I'm only 20. Because I don't know what I don't know, and I don't even know what I need to know. But you know, so it's your job to tell me. Because I don't know what I need to know. You know, so tell me. And I was like, good answer. Are you sure you don't know? Because you kind of seem to know. <laughs> He's basically saying you can change my life by taking me to work with you. And just a little bit of mentoring. See, the super apostles were saying, you had to have a great be a great speaker or a successful leader, be super charismatic to be someone that God can use. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You just have to let people see Jesus in you. It's taken someone younger to work, to give them a little bit of mentoring. It's it's an encouraging word. It's listening to someone in need. Little things is what changes lives. (laughs) Okay, we're good, right? Okay, ignore the, okay. (laughs) My mentor, Steve's legacy, wasn't that he was the greatest speaker in the world. He was good, but he wasn't great. It wasn't that he'd led intervarsity and in international Christian ministry or that he was president of a seminary. His legacy were the people at his memorial, all of us with the same words on our lips, he changed my life. When he would come to Seattle, he used to be a pastor here. When he would return, he would stay with some friends. Those people's phone would ring off the hook nonstop with people calling say i know he's in town i know he's busy just tell him would you he changed my life and i'm grateful not because he was perfect cuz he wasn't not because he was super cool he was wicked smart but that wasn't it it was his transparency i and others could see jesus working in his life when he succeeded and when he failed when he was high on life or down in the dumps when his career was going great and even when it wasn't, I saw him work all of that out with Jesus. And if I've changed anyone's life, it's because Jesus changed my life through him. I and others are his letters of recommendation testifying to his victorious life, not by virtue of degrees or titles or status, but by virtue of how he let Jesus shine through him in the highs and the lows. Now, that may sound like a daunting task, which is why Paul says in this text, and who is, who is equal to such a task? Indeed. So Paul says this, not that we are competent in ourselves, our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, we change lives not through any competence of our own, but by letting the Holy Spirit simply work through us and trusting that if we are in the ballpark of even being remotely faithful, offering up even our half-hearted prayers, Dear Jesus, use me to change someone's life, I guess, amen. Right? Like, God is going to honor that. And he's going to work through us no matter what. Like, God is going to get it done through us. It's not our ability, it's our availability. And it's about focusing on our relationship with him and letting the results take care of themselves. Paul says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If we set a goal to change people's lives, if that's how we go about this, okay, I'm going to change people's lives, here's my strategic plan, right? We'll kill it. That'll just kill, right? We'll get anxious. Am I doing enough? We'll get all legalistic and Christian-y. We'll try to force people to love Jesus, right? No, that's the letter of the law, and it kills. But if we focus on our relationship with Jesus, His Spirit will begin to work Through us. That's why Paul says a little later, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just let the Spirit work through you. Well, how do I do that? I don't know. Well, two things. Start with what you know, right? The Bible has some really good ideas on how to love people. And second, you've heard me say this a million times, respond to the nudges. One time my mentor Steve was in McDonald's, and there was a dad there with three kids, and Steve just got this nudge from God that said, go tell him he's a good dad. And Steve thought, nah, that's kind of weird, that's kind of odd. And I, but the nudge wouldn't go away, so finally Steve walked up to this guy, this dad, said, I think God is telling me to tell you that you're a good dad. And the guy started to cry. And he said, man, I'm a single dad, I'm working, trying to raise my kids. Kids, I feel like a failure every single day, but if God said that, maybe I'm okay. See, it's jazz. We show up and let the Holy Spirit improvise on what we do. I show up at a lunch with a student who doesn't talk. I think it's going nowhere. God changes his life. Maybe it's a word of encouragement, visiting someone in the hospital, comforting someone who's lost a loved one, or praying for people. Man, prayers, prayers can do miracles. Last week, after the services I got home, I was able to catch the last eight minutes of the game, which turned out to be the only eight minutes that really mattered. And as most of you know, to win the game, all the Vikings had to do was kick a routine 27-yard field goal, right? But, they, but the kicker missed. And as I was watching and when that ball just went to the left and he missed, I was like, oh, God really does love us. <laughs> Terrible theology. And then, and then I thought, no, 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 no. It's because even though that game was scheduled at 10 a.m. during church, y'all were here praying, right? Boom, Seahawks win. I think the Seahawks should give each of us some kind of bonus, don't you? See how it goes today. Okay, prayer doesn't change a field goal, just to be clear. but I, Well, maybe they do. I don't know. But leaving that aside, who knows the mysteries of God? But leaving that aside, right? they do change people's lives. You change enough lives and you've changed a culture. And you have lived a genuinely victorious life of meaning, purpose, and joy. We all know the feeling of having some great win. At work or in life or school, some great win and celebrating that is awesome, but we also know it fades. But when you allow Jesus to work through you, you can have that feeling even when things seem to be failing because we know Jesus works even in our defeats. One of my awesome parenting moments was when my oldest daughter was about five, my son was about three. I took them to see the movie Polar Express to kind of win good dad points. And it was supposed to be this awesome movie for kids. So not awesome for kids, right? Like the CGI wasn't well developed yet, so the characters didn't look charming. They just looked creepy, and there was a ghost. There was a scene with a ghost, and my kids just—they were were terrified, and they just sat there with their mouths open, right? And finally, my three-year-old son said, "Daddy, this is not a good movie for me to see. You should not have brought me here. Like total parent fail, right? You know what?" you know what? I don't have to be a perfect dad. You don't have to be a perfect mom or dad. You don't have to be the perfect boss. You don't have to be the perfect friend to send human letters into the world. I just have to show up, do some praying, let my kids see Jesus working in my wins and in my losses and just love them. One of the teachers at Eastside Academy sent me an email about a volunteer in her algebra class. I'm going to call him John. And John is always really eager to help the kids. And one day he saw some Eastside Academy girls on a walk for their PE class. And, and, he, and, he, and, he came, and this idea came to, the, came to him. So he went to the teacher with this idea. And he said, what if the, when the girls were walking through the park, they just happened to find gifts with their name on it? And, and what if the gifts were bags of cocoa mix and marshmallows and candy canes? And what if there was a picnic table with brownies fresh out of the oven? So he made that happen. Okay, he's an example of an everyday hero. He didn't go start a nonprofit or something like that, right? He just shows up a couple of times a week and lets Jesus shine through him. And for him, that is a victorious, meaningful life. The teacher said, I see his eyes just light up when he thinks of ways to celebrate the kids. She said, I saw kids bragging to other kids about how John spoiled them, how, how there was a surprise with their name on it, and how that made them feel. She said, I saw the kid who never would have finished his project without John helping him, so proud of the finished product. product. Like all of this, these kids, they, just, they, need, they need supporting, they need encouraging, they really want to do well in life and even in math. And John gets to be a part of that. And showing them that there are people who care and are willing to go the extra mile. And for some of these kids, they don't have a lot of people in their lives who care, let alone go the extra mile for them. Just like God goes the extra mile for us. And the teacher said, to see a kid truly figure out that they are cared for with no expectation for this teacher, for John, that's a huge payoff. They are sending human letters, resumes written on hearts into the world by simple daily acts of love and letting Jesus shine through them. That's the victorious life. All right, I want to close by showing you a commercial that was actually made in Spain for Ikea. Some of you have probably seen this. And they asked kids to write a letter uh, to the three wise men, which is sort of the Spanish equivalent of Santa Claus, about what they wanted for Christmas. And in that letter to Santa Claus, they asked for toys and bikes and games and stuff like that. Then they asked the kids to write a second letter to their parents. And this clip shows what that second letter to their parents asked for. Queridos papás. Quiero que estés más tiempo conmigo, que hagamos más experimentos en casa. Que nos hagáis un poco más de caso. Me gustaría que cenárais más con nosotros. Quiero que me hagáis Cosquillas. Y que les leamos un cuento. Quiero que estemos un día juntos. No puedo. Quiero jugar, mamá. Que juegues conmigo, vaqueros Quieres jugar más al fútbol conmigo. <risa> si solo pudieras enviar una de las dos cartas, ¿cuál enviarías? ¿La de los Reyes Magos o la de papá y mamá? Uy, es una pregunta muy difícil. What really makes for successful life? What really does it? It is so much simpler than we make it. It's showing up and showing love and letting see people see Jesus in your strengths and in your weaknesses, in your highs and in your lows. It is just that simple and it changes the world. So Jesus, make us windows through which people see your love, your grace, your power. Help us to be those windows where people see you in all our weaknesses and all our strengths. And Lord, we will give you the glory in your name. Amen.